Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about this week's job reports and Fed meeting and how those will affect housing. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. And I'm sitting here talking to you. The Fed raised rates a quarter. Uh, Jay Powell talked. It, it was over. And I'm sitting here. And the 10-year yield is right on the line. The Gandalf line in the sand is still holding up. And I don't think I've ever remember a time in history that one line has been so stubborn, but makes total sense if you think that the 10-year yield should hold up until the labor market breaks. So a lot to talk about today with the Federal Reserve jobs, how they're looking at it, rate hikes in the future, no more rate hikes, the 10-year yield, mortgage rates, all of it right here. All of it. We're going to get into all of it. So we are recording this on Wednesday, of course, right after uh, Powell just stopped speaking. So give us the headline. So he he uh, the Fed raised rates just like we thought they would, right? Yes. The, mar- the market baked in a quarter. So I don't, I don't think that's that's a surprise. But it really seems, at least to me, is that they're kind of going to be done unless the economic data starts to really pick up. And they've noted that job openings have declined. Now, job openings is one of those data lines that everyone hates except me. Um, during the COVID-19 recovery, the only person on planet Earth that said job openings will get to 10 million. And this matters. Why? Because the Fed loves the job openings data. And a lot of people hate that the Fed loves the job openings data. But job openings data has declined noticeably, like almost 3 million. And uh, Jay Powell actually talked about that, that you know, it, the history of US economics, can you actually really have the unemployment rate and uh, stay low and people actually not lose jobs when the job openings data falls so much. History would say no, but in this case, we are very high. So coming off an elevated level, we've dropped almost 3 million and still the jobs reports are still kicking in. So the reason I focus on that so much is you know, early on, uh, you know, during this rate hike pro- uh, process, I said, you know, it seems to me that the Fed and Jay Powell wants job openings back to 7 million. And that's kind of where we were before COVID. Um, and I mean, besides the fact that they want jobless claims to rise, 
uh, but job openings to seven million would make them very happy. And he seemed very happy to a degree that the the job openings data has fallen so much, and that we haven't had uh, major job loss reports. And again, this goes into the, my structural belief of how labor force demographics have changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, millions and millions of people losing their jobs like this, like some people have, have thought it hasn't happened really. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be in the longest economic and job expansion in history. So we're starting to get an idea of where where they're going with this. And today, you know, it's it's it just seems to me from the start, they're targeting the labor market. They would love to see the labor market get softer. They feel more comfortable about uh, their job if the labor market lost a lot of steam. And so far, we've seen that. We've seen, I mean, there there, there wouldn't be a time in history where I would say job openings fell 3 million and the Fed is like, yay. But this is it. This is one of those times in history. So, and um, during COVID, you were one of the ones saying, you know, job openings, jolts, right, would go to 10 million. And then they went to 11 million, didn't they? You got as high as 12 million. Yeah. So, um, if you actually follow job openings data, those that listened to my work in the previous expansion, when I said job openings are going to get to 6.21 million people, freaked. I said, there's no way there's millions of people on a plate. No, it's going to get to 6.21 million. Now, if you look at that trend with the how the baby boomers are leaving the workforce, and then, of course, we we put the COVID variable into there, job openings, 10 million. Yeah, that that's that's easy. That happened. But um it really, the Fed has noticed that the labor market is getting softer. And I just, I feel like they're a little bit kind of quiet giddy about that because that's what they want. Uh, they say on one hand, Jay Powell, this is really interesting. He's, he, he tried to make it uh, very adamant that I don't believe wages create inflation, right? Uh, there, there's a supply factor, but we want wage growth to slow down. So... <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's one of these things I, 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 if, if you're running 1970s models, you need to have at least two to 3 million people lose their jobs. Now they asked Jay Powell about, well, your staff members called for a recession. He's like, yeah, those are my staff members. That's not my view. Wow. So, so yeah. So, uh, again, it goes back to, he is focused on one thing, jobless claims data, Job openings, softer labor market. They're targeting the labor market. That's what they always have targeted. They could skirt around everything else. Um, <clears throat> but it was very evident by today. I mean, hopefully by today, everyone's realized that the Fed will not be satisfied. This is you know, the thing I went on CNBC a few weeks ago until the labor market breaks. And breaks breaking to me is jobless claims getting over 323,000 on the four-week moving average. We're not there yet, but we're seeing signs of a softening labor market, which they want. So do you think we're going to be there like in the next report or in the next one after that? No, I mean, we're we're still we're still a, a, a while away from breaking the jobless claims data. Continuing claims have been rising for, for many months now, but the initial claims data needs, you know, a lot. It's since it's a weekly data line, you, you need a lot of weaker uh, reports to come in for that to break above 323,000, but it's moving higher. And they've done some adjustments to it uh, a few weeks ago that shows that it, it was always higher than what it what it was uh, meant to be. So nobody's asked the Fed this, but you know the labor market data isn't as tight as they thought, and they don't care. They want you know they they really really believe that. To destroy inflation, you have to destroy the labor market. Doesn't mean that you have to have like 
you know, 10 to 12 million people lose their jobs. But two to three million is kind of that target level. Uh, the labor supply getting bigger to them is, is a comfort. Uh, so it really was it really was good to see that he kind of showed all his cards here. And then the other factor is they they're really noticing the tighter uh, credit markets after the banking crisis because it wasn't them that created the banking crisis, you know. So uh, it wasn't the rate hikes, but now. Uh, they're really fully engaged that the uh, credit is getting tighter all around the country, especially to small businesses. Um, so the next time Janet Yellen says, we don't see credit getting, oh, yes, it is. Uh, the surveys show it, the data shows it. But uh, I, I, this is maybe crazy to say, but I think internally the Fed is happy that the, that the credit market is getting tighter because it'll get them to their goal. And then at that point, when jobless claims break, we'll have a whole different conversation. But until then, we stick to the core call. The Federal Reserve will not be happy until you lose your jobs. Okay, so you're, we're not there yet, uh, but we're softening the labor market. And uh, for now, you know, that might might have been the last rate hike. Uh, but again, uh, they were hiking rates. The 10-year yield has fallen uh, since that four and a quarter print last year, that's looks perfectly right. We did that in October 27th. We made the case for, uh, to 10 year yield to fall and mortgage rates fall. So we're getting into another stage of the economic cycle where tightening credit, especially for small businesses is really going to start to, uh, show itself. And does that get the job loss recession that the federal reserve desires so much? Did he did he talk about the bank failures and specifically the one that just happened? Yeah, I mean, they asked them questions, and you know, they. I I just think I just think the Fed wants to just not have anybody focus on them that their aggressive rate hikes were a factor that all these institutions had you know a, a financial game plan on uh, rates being lower, rates not going up as aggressive because. <clears throat> In reality, they don't care as long as the credit markets are somewhat functional. If a few banks go under, um, uh, they'll find a way. I mean, th- that's why they said we have ways to uh, uh, fix this. So we're just going to do. We're going to have other banks come in and buy. And they, they feel like they can they can handle that. And then those stock prices or those companies are gone or whatever. You know, th- they suffer that way. But we have ways to to prevent this from breaking out into wide scale panic. Uh, and again, it's it's there. There are two mandates: price stability and you know, kind of a facilitating a, a solid employment. In in their eyes, the labor market is still too good, but inflation is still too high. So we're we're at the pace where I think Nick Timoros from the Wall Street Journal asked, said, you, "You've told us about the lag impact. Why'd you hike rates today?" Didn't really give a good answer. <laughs> so, isn't really a good answer, was, is there? I mean, I mean, you're, you see, my take was that they told us last year we are really tracking three, six, 12 month core PCE, and that's kind of firmed up. So we're kind of at that level, right? So, under that context, can they go start hiking aggressively again? Well, that means you really, really want to push the recession at this point. So, we're, we're there. The, some of the languages in terms of, Oh, we we we're going to need tighter policies. Not there anymore. So it's a now it's it's just the nitty gritty of watching credit channels, which I love more than anything. Uh, uh, and uh, we just move it. We just go from that point on 
on the weekly data. And that's that's why we tr- we did the tracker, weekly tracker, not just for housing data, but if you really want to track housing economics, you've got to verse yourself in all economic data. There's just no way you can uh, you be a one-trick pony on this. So when we see that we have lost, you know, there's there's 3 million job openings that are no longer there. Do we know what sectors those are? Do we know what kind of jobs those are? Well, I mean, the area that got hit the hardest, uh, when we th- when we think about job openings falling, that just means that the demand in the areas uh, got hit the ha- so where where is that that's housing of course right housing went into recession on June 16th 5:01 p.m. and uh of course the tech industry is getting hit there are constant layoff announcements but uh again it's fascinating for for Powell to actually talk about this is the first time ever in history we could lose 3 million job openings and not have constant uh, job losses. And again, that's why early on I said 7 million, right? I think that's the target they want. So we've gone from 12 to almost 9 million. So they're, they're, they're almost, they're more than halfway there. If they could get job openings to 7 million, I think they'd be very happy about that. Okay. So you mentioned at the top of this podcast, the Gandalf line in the sand on 10-year yield. And what does that mean for mortgage rates? Tell us where we are. God, we're at 3.37. Isn't this wonderful, Sarah? We created the only line in the sand in history. We used Gandalf, which everyone could understand. And we're constantly saying this. It's 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 worked all year. Um, mortgage rates have come down recently. I think where the, the recent high was like 6.75. I think we might be under six and a half today. Of course, the spreads are still bad. Mortgage rates should be in the low fives right now. But the banking crisis has started to, you know, deteriorate credit. I think that's another reason why the spreads are getting worse. It's expensive and nearly impossible to like make money in mortgages, right? To to do a loan. So uh, there's a lot of risk in there. And and what we always usually see is there's a normal spreads, and then when a recession happens, the spreads blow up higher, and then we come back down to normal. Not the case now. We have an expanding economy and the spreads are terrible. So I think the only time in history where the spreads were worse uh, were was in the uh, early 1980s. So we're, we're dealing with uh, the mortgage industry, and especially housing. If the spreads were normal, we would be having such a different conversation in the housing market, uh, even in the economy. Uh, because if you take housing out of the recession where housing permits start to pick up and everything, I... A lot of people who were bearish on the U.S. always say housing leads us in to the recession, housing leads us out. And they, under their own model, if they stuck to it, unless they have a changing variable, they would have to go positive. So everyone's really waiting to see on the housing data, which we love because that's our thing. Uh, and uh, uh, mortgage rates, should, the pricing should be better. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm just constantly looking at the Gandalf line and uh, seeing how it closes. But it's, it's, it's fun in that sense. You know, it's fun that, you know, we're not, we're no longer talking about the 10 year yield getting to five, 6% or 8% mortgages or, you know, uh, housing demand stabilize. And I put a clinic, absolute clinic today on Twitter on uh, uh, what just happened in the last six months and why people who don't track data uh, missed it. And in, I, I, like it's the fourth time now uh, in the last 10 years that people kind of missed the forward-looking data, got positive. We're, we're all having a different conversation because you know Black, Black Knight came out with their price index and it's positive and 
CoreLogic came out with their price. This is not the housing bubble crash that we were told 100% would be happening because forward-looking data change and when forward-looking data turns positive, what usually happens is everybody's too old and too slow, Sarah. They're like your not turtle. Us. No, not us. Uh, They're like grunting. Not us. We, we do not believe in being old and slow. So, uh, And the data stabilized. And and really, the context of that is, you know, in tw- purchase application data is a survey data. So the survey data is higher than it was in 2014. Well, in 2014, the other thing that happened was we're talking about a period of time where uh, active listings were a lot higher. Uh, if we take the NAR data, it got us uh, almost up to about 2.4 million, million. We're under a million today. Uh, we took Altos research. We're over a million back then. We're for, you know, uh, uh, roughly like 450,000 now at, at these levels. So we have a different different dynamic here. So uh, the main the main thing I talked about today is that total active listings, when demand is collapsing, we had the biggest collapse ever last year. Even low inventory doesn't prevent that as a shield, you know, for price declines. So we saw price declines on a month-to-month basis uh, toward the end. However, that's not the housing market anymore. That hasn't been the housing market for six months. Demand has stabilized. Weekly data is double positive than negative data lines. We we had a negative uh, report uh, today, down two percent, but you know we have sixteen positive, sevens negatives year to date. We're nine positives, seven negatives. We're not we're not having that collapse anymore. And the data was there to show you, and all you had to do is read. And what do we talk about, Sarah? Numbers being the handwriting of God. Numbers being the handwriting cause that we believe in reading. Oh, reading yes, is a good reading. thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> yes. I wasn't sure which one we were talking about. Oh, we have so many now. We, we do. have so many. We have so many. Um, okay. So we talked about purchase apps just a little bit there. What about the new home sales? I think that that, um, you know, we're seeing a little bit there. Well, you know, with, with the new home sales sector, um, we go back to last year. And one of my talking points last year is that if you take the new home sales reports itself and then you adjust to the cancellation rates, they're like historically low. You're not working from a very elevated level. And the builders are <clears throat> efficient sellers. Okay. They sell it as a commodity. Okay. They are here to make money. They are not the march of dimes, right? They have margin. They have they'll cut prices, they'll offer low rates because they want to move product. They don't want product building up. They're very efficient in that. That's why you don't really, you know, normally you have like 80 to 100,000 new homes available for sale, not the millions of homes that people thought. Um, and I just think that that efficiency showed itself, right? And then rates fell, right? The whole, the whole premise of doing the October 27th, giving the case for lower mortgage rates, what does that mean? That's a positive for housing. It's not a negative, right? And I think a lot of people uh, fall back to the when mortgage rates were falling, you know, uh, during 2008, uh, it didn't help anybody. Well, that was a credit cycle, credit boom, credit bust. Here, lower mortgage rates, builders sell their homes. They're happy. They have a backlog to work off of. Data stabilized. They can work better in that environment because active listings are low. So I think that's the new home sales sector is this really um, uh, running off of the ability that they don't have that much competition and they can lower rates. Okay. I cannot let it go that you keep talking about the March of Dimes, which I think from all I know is a very um, worthy charity. But Logan, that is a boomer charity. If ever I've heard of it, 
You ask any Gen Z or even millennial, do they know? What oh, no, no. I'm, listen, if you haven't realized I'm target, I'm targeting the boomers because the boomers are the angry people. So <laughs> we, I'm, I'm just, just I'm, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to connect the dots to them, right? You know, I could connect Gandalf that if you're a Gen X person and even millennials could get that. But uh, cultural references uh, to elicit a marketing response is a tactic of mine. So I choose the March of Dimes very carefully. Like the builders are here to make money. They're not here to like, we, we wrote that article in 2021. Like don't expect for like a housing construction boom. They are not here. You know, they're here to make money. They don't want to, you think these people are going to put uh, 2 million. Well, first of all, we don't even have the employment employment levels to even do that, but they're not here to give a million homes onto the market that destroy their margins and businesses here. Why? This is, this is capitalism. We're not here uh, we have to make money. So uh, I hopefully that's like one of the things that I've really focused on in the last 12 months to try to teach people that reality because it's been so much a part of my work for 10 years. But here, yeah, they're just going to build build to sell their own product. They don't care about the existing home sales market. That's their competition, man. You know, this is the new home sales sector. They got all the pretty bells and whistles on their new homes and they're going to sell it for as much as they can and then move on to the next uh, they don't have to structurally deal with, you know, do I have to sell my house, move my family, where am I going and stuff. So uh, different dynamics, even though they're the same uh, product in the same sector, uh, two different business models uh, uh, in that sense. So um, we've talked about the purchase apps and we talked about inventory. One thing I wanted to um, have you explain here on the podcast, you explain it on the housing market tracker, the weekly tracker that you put up is why is there such a difference between the NAR data and Altos research data, which you get the Altos research data every week. It is almost real time. It's, you know, it, it doesn't lag. So tell us why is that? I mean, that's less than half a million homes. So when we look at the NAR data, they gather all the homes, condos, single families that are actively there uh, as unoccupied homes and also what is impending as well. So you're talking about a, a wide scale of sales data uh, into the supply. So they all trend the same way, but the super fast, awesome thing about Altos Research that I love is that it's fresh. It's fresh weekly data that uh, when you look into it, those are all the homes that are left this week. You know, so you don't have to wait for a monthly report that car- that uh, holds up everything. So if you want the most efficient, fastest, forward-looking data, there it is, right? You know, in this kind of environment where things change on a dime, it is such an advantage to have weekly data. And again, my 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 job, of course, Mike Mike does a wonderful job each each week, kind of explaining his his data line. He he. he uses so many different other uh, charts. I try to just keep it as simple as possible to give people a headway, but the, hopefully people can understand why the new listings data is very critical, right? Yeah, you can't have like, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious that I even have to say this. You can't have a massive supply spike unless new listings data starts to explode higher. No, I mean, it's a very simple concept. I mean, things just don't appear magic dust, right? You can see the data trends coming. And last year, I mean, this was this was the really big whiff last year. New listings data was growing slightly year over year than 2022 levels on, on, on a few weeks. That was it. And then people thought of this like some mass inventory. There was it was never in there in the data line. 
Uh, and I'm hopefully one of, one of the things I want people to understand is how to read new listings data correctly, because, you know, we talked about that in the last podcast that, you know, the foreclosure fanatics that they really need to verse themselves on that. But in general terms, if you start to see a, a massive inventory spike, you'll see it there first. You'll see the active listing days on market. All those things will correspond with each other. And we have it weekly. We do have it weekly. And you tease everybody on Saturdays because you're like, oh, this is what's happening. And then uh, we always release the housing market tracker on Sundays now, which is really great. You you write that up and we mm-hmm. publish that. So people can really you know, get that information before the week starts and hopefully make some of their decisions off of that. Oh, as we talk right now, the Gandalf line slightly is lower. See, see, see this is my world I live in. Like seconds. I, I know it is. So wait, t- tell us again. What is the Gandalf line? Okay, so in case people um, are like, what is he talking about? A few months ago, I talked about my my 2023 forecast was 10 year yields between 3.21 percent and four and a quarter. Okay, so it's going to range between then. We should not break under 3.21 percent unless the labor market's breaking. Uh, but also during that, there's a line. There's an area between 3.37 percent and four and a quarter. This is going to be very stubborn to break through. Uh, so we have, this is like the seventh time we've tried to test this and try to break through it. Uh, and, uh, we did break through it during the height of the, um, banking crisis, right? Cause everybody's full recession mode there and people run into the bond market for safety, but we just came right back up after it. So we're kind of here and what we, what you want to see is a break of the 10 year yield below there and then follow through bond buying and then that's it, you know? So we haven't really had that first time. We didn't even really get much follow through. So it's just been very tough. And look, it looks right to me. Everybody has their own take on what the bond market should do. But, you know, that's why in the forecast, I said, I, I, the labor market to me, breaking matters more than anything. And so far, job openings are down almost 3 million. Uh, initial claims are up from the bottom. Continuing claims are, are have been rising and staying elevated for some time. Wage growth is slaying that. And we have jobs friday coming up uh, uh uh and by the time this podcast comes up the initial claims data would have uh, would be already up as well so it was jobs week jobs and fed week man it's 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 fun you can't get any nerdier than this so uh, uh this is what we're made for yes i love that you love this week i'm not sure anyone else is that excited as you are oh let's look at this so you mentioned that housing went into a recession in june you called it last june and then you have a recession model uh a six red flag a a six flag how am i saying this six Six flags yeah that was i haven't been at six flags in a long time yeah oh yeah those were the days let's Um, go to six flags recession yes six flags that's what i should do i should get on a roller coaster and have a red flag and go the recession model um six recession red flag model this is something uh even that the the conference board asked me last year to come uh, present and again this is a progression model. It is just designed to show stages. I'm not a Wall Street firm sitting here trolling Twitter every single day. Oh, the cycle, the cycle, the cycle, cycle. Please give us your money. We know what we're talking about. Um, I'm here just to explain how economic cycles work. The sixth recession red flag is designed to be early. And then when the sixth one is raised, that's where we get into the real juicy parts about this. And even even back then, I said, what are two things that could you know uh, help the economy? Uh, prevent a recession. Number one, the growth rate of inflation falls and the 10-year yield falls. Okay. So that was the case that we made uh, late October last year. And then the Fed stops hiking and then cuts. So 
One of those two things are somewhat in the works. Uh, the other one isn't. So uh, we're now in the details of this, but the uh, the labor market and the demographics are, are still keeping it up there. Some of the uh, leading economic indicators are just are, are screaming recession at this stage. Uh, and, but my job is to show progressions because I never sleep, right? I just basically economics doesn't sleep either. It doesn't, you know, every day there's buying and selling of goods and services and production. So we just flow with it. There's an expansion, a recession, expansion, recession. That's how it's worked. And we just want to showcase how it really is post-World War II uh, and get all the noise out of economics, right? Keep it what it was always meant to be. Boring. Economics done right is boring. <laughs> we don't want to talk it's about a, boring stuff, though. That's why we have you on. Yeah, but but you, you, I know we try to make it as entertaining as possible. Of course, you know, we throw some theatrics in there. But again, if you really, if you truly believe in the love of economics and cycles, it's not, it's the, it's numbers, right? It's just, it's not designed to be this crazy, hot, sexy dance at a club, right? We'll, we'll make it as entertaining as possible, but. We are we are bounded by those rules, and uh, hopefully, uh, people can appreciate that. I know in this day and age, it's it's better to do doom porn all the time, but some of us have chosen not to do that. So, does it just freak you out when you think about the fact that we had another bank failure and it it hasn't really done anything? I mean, will we see more? Does it matter? Is is it because we figured out what to do with that? I I believe it matters in a way that. People, I hope, are understanding credit getting tighter matters, right? That's usually what you see going into a recession. The Fed talked about that today. They said, yeah, we see it. Credit's getting tighter, and that's we're, we're going to monitor this. I think that's that's the main premise for not hiking anymore. Uh, if credit gets tighter and tighter, small businesses can't make, you know, there's, there's how you get to the recession. Of course, I would argue that they're probably welcoming that at this point. But uh, again, it's... Not like 2008, where all the banks were kind of insolvent and people had to, you know, we had to do major injections and get, you know, but it, it's the regional banks at this point. And of course, you know, call a few people up in Wall Street and they could buy one of these banks out. Uh, so they're, they're, the Fed is, is making sure. And again, uh, this is something Jay Powell wrote in 1991. Bank runs, you get in early, you do whatever you can, you have the tools, right? You remember the $6 million? We have the tools to make him better. Faster, oh, yes, stronger. it's a $6 yeah. million dollar yeah. man, one of my favorite yeah. shows. And don't yes. tell me how old that makes me because I already know. No, you're not a baby boomer. You're a Gen Xer. <laughs> so um, in, in, in this case, they, they, they believe they can limit the damage uh, uh, of widespread bank runs and stuff. But they the, it, credit is getting tighter, and that, that does matter in, in a very big fashion. So People don't see it because they don't see the stock market down ten percent, like you know they were back in the days. But here, yeah, it's uh, it's happening, and that's that's part of our job. Our job is to track this stuff weekly, and, and the Federal Reserve has talked about credit getting tighter noticeably today. Okay, well now we have a new phrase. We want the housing market to be better, stronger, and faster, like this. Faster, yes. Yes. yes, yes. We want the actually. You know what? You know what? We don't want a faster housing market. Why? Because if I say faster, then the days on market, the thing I talk about that I don't want, (laughs) right? Right? I don't want I don't want the days on market to be a teenager. Nothing good happens in the history of housing when the days on market are that low. That's either means you have a massive credit bubble move or you don't have enough homes. We want to, Sarah, slow dance. See? 
we are going to see one day, I'm going to get you on stage. We're going to have a slow dance song. We're going to show the 10-year yield. We're going to do everything. And then we're going to get everybody in the crowd to start slow dancing. There's nothing wrong with slow dancing in the housing market. It's good. It gives people choices. People could sell their homes, (laughs) not be stressed about moving everything. Slow and steady. That wins the race. That is a beautiful vision you have there, Logan. (laughs) We'll, We'll end there. Thank you so much for breaking down the Fed stuff. And we will talk to you again soon. Pleasure. Always, Sarah. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.